Good morning. My name is Chris. I get to serve as the lead pastor here at EPAG, and we're thrilled you're here. I'd love to meet you at the hub after service in the lobby. I'd love to hear your story if we haven't had a chance to meet or if I hadn't seen you in a while or you hadn't seen me. Count your blessings if that's the case, right? But uh, hey, if you haven't seen me or I hadn't seen you, I'd love to connect. Would you stand up and grab your copy of God's Word today? Man, God's been doing some really cool stuff today. Both services. Someone came to me with a word today uh, related to what, what we've just done even in this time, giving God room and releasing things and freedom in Christ. We've seen people just praying and going after the Lord. We've celebrated an incredible day yesterday with Autumn Fest. Uh, just a really exciting day. I always just love gathering with you, and I always love what God's doing. Go with me, if you will, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, whether you're in e-form or tree-form today with your Bible, we'd love to find you in John chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 1. Read along with me if you will. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, or pay attention to what I'm about to say, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born, Jesus answered. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit, or it may read better, born of water, even the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. As we pray today and go into this message, would you, so, would you also join with me in praying for Israel? I'm sure that many of you have seen the horrific things that are happening on the other side of the globe. And obviously we're told even in Scripture, Psalm 122, to pray for peace in Jerusalem. And we understand that Israel is a major uh, love of God. And so we want to pray for them and pray for wisdom and leaders as well. So as we pray, would you join me in prayer for them too? Thank you. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this opportunity, O oh God, to study the word together and also, God, to apply it to our lives and, and help us to practice it, not just to hear it, but to practice it. We pray today, O oh God, for Israel. We know that, Lord, this is, this is your people. We know that there are some horrific things taking place, God, and there are families who have been displaced, families who have lost loved ones, children, spouses, God, we ask that you work in these moments, Lord, in these tragedies. We ask, oh God, that most of all the gospel of Jesus would be preached even by uh, units that are on the ground there, God, who are serving you faithfully. We pray, oh God, that there be wisdom in leaders to know how to navigate these uh, difficult times. And uh, we just trust, oh Lord, you'll keep your hand upon your people. We thank you for that. Now, Lord, may we listen closely to what you would say to us today. And may we be a people who follow you, Jesus, and a people who inspire other people to follow you as well. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. 
Last week, we opened up this series called Dream Big, and we declared that as EPAG, we will inspire people to follow Jesus. Nothing matters more. Nothing is more important for eternity than following Jesus and inspiring other people to follow Jesus. And when we say inspire people to follow Jesus, we do mean all people. You remember that childhood song, perhaps, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. I still believe that Jesus died on the cross for anyone who will call on his name, and that everyone who calls on his name shall be saved, that there is salvation in no under, no one else under heaven by which we must be saved in the name of Jesus. Nothing matters more than this. Nothing matters more in our lives Nothing matters more in the other people's lives around us every day. This is our why. Jesus is our why. Eternity is our why. We keep in focus in everything that we do. It's all about Jesus and it's all about eternity with Him. A year and a half ago when our team began to pray, God, what is it that you want us to do? We didn't feel like God was going to rewrite or recreate His mission. He's already given us a commission He's already commanded us what to do, but we said, Lord, give us the the practical. Show us what we need to know in how we reach people. How do we truly inspire people to follow Jesus? It's great that we can quote it. It's great that we can put it on a wall, but how do we really do this, God? How do we show people and inspire people to follow you, Lord? And I would start today by suggesting that first, the church, with a capital C, must face the reality of the spiritual condition of our world. We must face the reality of the spiritual condition of our world. Going from a macro level or a large view down to a micro level of our home base, if you will, we start with the world at large. The world now exceeds population of 8 billion people. And statistics tell us that 3.4 billion people of those are unreached with the gospel of Jesus. I want you to sit in that for a moment and recognize in moments when we take for granted having a relationship with Jesus, in moments when we take for granted the opportunity to have access to the Bible, in moments when we take for granted the opportunity to pray and to boldly approach the throne of grace that we might find help in our time of need, in moments when we take for granted this This opportunity to come together and have the freedom of worship. I want you to sit in the reality that 42.4% of the world's population is declared to be unreached. Never hearing an adequate presentation of the gospel. It tells us that the global church has a lot of work to do. And we've got to be focused on doing the Father's business. Bring it to a national level and... We talk about the reality that I think the American church needs to face some reality. Even if this nation was founded on Christian values and intentions, I would contend with you today that America is no longer a Christian nation, or at least not as Christian as people think it is. Nearly 340 million people make up this nation, and even in, within the borders of the United States of America, 18.6% of people are said to be unreached, meaning they've never heard an adequate presentation of the gospel. But that's not even the whole story. Barna Research reported in 2020 that 25% of people in the U.S. population, only 25% of people are practicing Christians. Now, this is important. 
The terminology is important. It's important to differentiate between Christian as a label and Christian as a Jesus follower. There is a difference. It's one thing to say, I'm Christian because I'm American, which is actually false. It's one thing to say that I'm a Christian because I just live in America and that's what we do. It's another thing to live not only to hear the words of God, but to put them into practice and follow Jesus with our lives. It's interesting to note that this 25% number in the U.S. dropped from the year 2000. It was at 45%, and now it's at 25%. Nearly in half in our nation. You bring it home to the Twin Cities metro, and we're approaching 4 million people total in population, not just the, the core of the Twin Cities, but around as well. And we, we begin to notice when you study our area that the population of those from other countries or the population of immigrants that are coming to the United States has now numbered over one million people. And let me just pause for a moment and make a statement to you that is not political but is intended to be more awareness for the church. The United States of America has always been a place where people come to find freedom. Uh, honestly, we take for granted the reality that the United States is a place of freedom, and we take for granted that the United States is better than a lot of other places to live. Don't shout me down on that one. Okay. So, the United States is actually a pretty good place. There may be some problems. None of us are perfect, but, but it's a really good place and a lot of freedom and a lot of good things that can happen in our nation. And because of that, there are people who look to leave the horrible conditions or more difficult conditions and come to America in hopes of chasing a dream. We can all trace back to that reality and we still see that today. There's a lot of conversation going on right now in our nation about immigration in a big picture sense. And I understand the concerns. There are a lot of people who are concerned about people who would come in our nation to do people harm. I get that. What we're watching right now play out on the other side of the world tells us that there are still evil people who want to do harm, right? There are still people who would be okay with wiping nations off the face of the map. We understand that. But we need to be careful not to assume that God called us to live comfortable, but that rather God may be giving us an opportunity. Here, here's what I would say to you today. I don't think no matter what you do that you're going to actually stop people from other places coming into our nation. It's going to happen. It always has. I understand the concerns. I understand that we may need to improve our process of people coming into America. But I also understand that we need to not get so caught up in a political conversation that we bypass the opportunity that God is giving us. Because what has happened now in our world is that instead of just sending missionaries from America to other places, it seems like God is bringing other places to our front yard. And it might just be appropriate that as Jesus followers, no matter where you think on the issue of political immigration, no matter where you stand on that, it might just be that, yeah, we may need to do some things as a nation, but what if we take the opportunity that's right before us? And what if people hear the gospel of Jesus? And what if they come for college or school or work, but then when they get here, they have a radical encounter with Christ that changes their life, that changes their family life, that totally disrupts what they thought they were coming for, for the better of their life gets better. I have a dream that not only will people come here, because they are, wake up, it's happening, 
not only will people come here, but I have the dream too that if we will live with open hands that say, God, we're just going to be stewards of what you put in front of us, that we will have opportunity to minister to people and to speak the gospel of Jesus, their lives will be changed and some of them will go back to their very own origins, back to their nations, and they will become the match that lights the fire that sparks a revival in a nation that brings the gospel of Jesus to places it's never been and to places you and I could never go. It's happening. We have someone right now in India who was here I communicate with him. Some others communicate even more so than myself. And he was part of EPAG. And some may not even have known him that well, but what happened in his life changed him forever to the point that he's, he's had struggles with family members not even wanting to talk to him and people not even wanting to associate with him because here he is in a country that is not following Jesus, trying to follow Jesus. And he's made up his mind to do that. And it doesn't matter what he loses. It doesn't matter what happens to him. He's made this decision to follow Jesus. Tell me that can't happen over and over and over again if we will not just look at it through a political lens, but we will look at it through a gospel opportunity. That's what we need to be doing. It also is important to note that when people are coming from other places, they are bringing with them a lot of world religion influence. And that influence is not going to just remain within one family unit. Much like we should be as Jesus followers influencing other people to follow Jesus, they're led to believe that they should influence other people to buy into their religions as well. So they're bringing that influence that's not only in their family, but now they're going to try to encourage other people to do the same thing. So we are seeing this influence build and build and build in our area. In the Twin Cities metro in the last 20 years, the number of churches have increased. Planning of new churches especially has taken place quite a bit. Also, mosques have increased. Witch covens have increased. And unfortunately, church attendance, even with the growth of churches, has actually declined. 25% of the Twin Cities population, only 25% of the Twin Cities population are evangelical Christians. Now, all of this to say, world, nation, home. We haven't even begun to trudge through the waters today of atheism, agnosticism, secular humanism, American or cultural Christianity. Uh, we, we haven't even addressed the conversation that a lot of people might have today where they say it doesn't matter what road you take, all the roads are going to end up in the same place anyway. And we haven't even talked about the right or wrong negative views of organized religion and local churches. Now, there may be some people that get caught up on the bandwagon of just bashing the local churches. I know that it's a pretty popular statement these days, so there could be some of this that's unjustified. But let me help you know that from experience, and there are probably other people in this room that could say the same thing, there are legitimate issues that have played out in the church world on a public stage that have caused people to question church leaders all over the world. And there have been a lot of legitimate wounds that have been caused by church leaders and church people serving in the name of Jesus but not loving their neighbor the way we're called to love them. So there are people who have legitimate reasons for not trusting the church. There's also an issue of biblical illiteracy. I received an email on Thursday and the header read, Only one out of three church members reads his or her Bible daily. Thank you. 
Only one out of three church members reads his or her Bible daily. Now, if that's the truth in the church, how could we ever expect the world to be any different? And the list goes on and on and on. Last week I talked about big dreams and dreaming big. If you want to talk about big dreams, it's about inspiring people who fit any and all of these descriptions. How do we inspire them to follow Jesus? Here's what I would contend today. We can no longer assume the same starting point in inspiring people to follow Jesus. The Bible you know, others don't know it. The stories you grew up on in your children's Bible, they don't know those stories. You know, one of the hardest things as a pastor today, even in America, is to preach one sermon to hundreds of people that are in all different places on the journey with Jesus. That in any given sermon, you could have someone who's not following Jesus, and on the extreme opposite end, you could have someone who's followed Jesus for 40 years, and everything in between. We can no longer assume that people know We can no longer assume that people have the foundation to build upon. They're different people, they're different places on the journey with Jesus, and they're different obstacles to overcome and different lengths on the journey before people will actually make that decision. So in our text this morning in John chapter 3, Jesus had a conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus. Now the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus centered around spiritual rebirth, spiritual regeneration, to use the technical theological term, or simply being born again. The idea of new life, new birth. You know, just to pause for a moment, it's really interesting to me that Jesus talked to Nicodemus about being born again, but doesn't seem to use that language in many other places at all. It just so happens that Nicodemus was older in age. So it spoke specific to where he was in life. I'm thankful that God's so big and so awesome that he can lead every one of us all at the same time and yet be so specific to who we are, to our personalities, to how we listen, to how we hear, and lead our lives individually. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Nicodemus was a well-known, well-respected religious leader. And the religious leaders, his colleagues, Nicodemus' colleagues, opposed Jesus from early on in his earthly ministry. The religious people believed that they were the closest to God of anybody. We know the law. We know how to keep the law. And we're from Abraham. We're, we're, we're in the lineage of Abraham. So we're the ones that are good enough to know God and to get into heaven or eternity. But Jesus refuted that whole idea. He said... I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Very truly, I tell you, verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit, or born of water, even the Spirit. In 1 Peter, Peter would use the terminology, praise be to God for all the things that he's done in our lives, including the starting point of the new birth that he brought to us. So here's what we understand. When we talk about not assuming the same starting point with people and inspiring them to follow Jesus, here's where we start. We understand that for a person to experience salvation and eternal life with God, he or she must be born again. There has to come a point where people recognize their sin guilt and admit that he or she is a sinner 
There has to come a point where a person believes in Jesus as the Son of God, that He died and rose again, and that His finished work is enough to cancel our sin guilt and bring salvation and eternal life. There has to come a moment when people confess Jesus as Savior and as Lord because it's a new life. It's not just to go on now and do everything we want to do. It's that Jesus is now our leader. And Jesus used the language of a cleansing work, this idea of water washing away the stain of sin, and that it's a work, a spiritual powerful change that only the Holy Spirit can bring. A person has to come to this place to experience new birth, new life, new trajectory, new desires, and ultimately a personal ongoing relationship with God. This is the ultimate understanding we want people to come to. We want to serve them. We want to meet their needs. We want to show compassion. We want to feed the hungry. All of those things are fantastic. But if we stop short of sharing the gospel, we've missed the point. We do those things to open the door to opportunity so that we can tell them the truth about Jesus and inspire someone to follow him. Now here's the thing, to his credit, Nicodemus realized Jesus was favored and enabled by God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, look, you're a great teacher. And we can tell, obviously, that God favors you and God is with you. Because if he, if he wasn't, you wouldn't be able to do all these signs and wonders and miracles. If you remember, the Gospel of John was written to highlight a lot of the miraculous in the earthly ministry of Jesus. John would say, I have included these things in this gospel writing so that you would believe in Jesus. He even went far enough to say, if we included everything that Jesus did, we wouldn't have enough paper to write it all down. There's no way we could capture everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry or everything that he could do. But I've, wrote, I've written these things down to you so that you can believe in Jesus being from God, being God, being sin of God, being from God. I've written these things so that you will believe in him because of this supernatural power. So give Nicodemus credit. He recognizes something's different. He recognizes, wait a minute, this guy's not typical because I've been in the synagogues and I've heard people teach all the Old Testament, but none of them's done all this other stuff. Nobody's had the power and authority to send out the demons. Nobody's had the power and authority to steal the waters. Nobody's had the power and authority to, to do all of these things and heal the sick and raise the dead. And all. Something's different about you, Jesus. I can recognize that God's hand and favor's on you because you're doing all of these miraculous things. So give him credit. Nicodemus comes to Jesus seeking answers, even when his religious colleagues didn't have any belief in Jesus. And if you study the life of Nicodemus, here's what you find. This was a starting point that led to an ongoing journey that led to a place where Nicodemus had a love for Jesus. Watch this. Nicodemus comes to him in John 3. He progressed from curiosity to recognition. In John 7, he defends Jesus. And then he gets to John 19, he gets to a place where when Jesus died on the cross, he helped Joseph of Arimathea take Jesus' body down, prepare it for burial, and put him in the tomb. He goes from curiosity to recognition to defense of Jesus. Somewhere along the way, he developed an understanding and a belief in Jesus of being who he said he was. And he loved him enough that, Jesus, I want to be part of taking care of you in this moment. It's pretty powerful. It's a journey. 
Here's an interesting note about Nicodemus in this conversation with Jesus. Do you notice in John chapter 3, verse 2, that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night? Now, a couple of different things are at play here. Number one, Jesus always had crowds around him. So if you really wanted to talk to Jesus for more than about 30 seconds, you probably needed to come to him later in the night when nobody was around. I mean, he would have crowds that were so big you couldn't get in the house and you had to cut a hole in the roof just to let somebody down, right? Jesus was always being prayed. The disciples would say, Jesus, how in the world do you want us to tell you who touched you when there are so many people around here? He always had crowds. So there's an element here of it might have been easier to go and talk to Jesus at night because it was an opportunity for a longer conversation, but it's also true that Nicodemus probably goes to Jesus at night in in fear of criticism and ridicule from his own Pharisee colleagues. Here's what I love. When Nicodemus came, even though he may not have had all the answers, and even though he may have come at night, Jesus didn't push him away, but he took opportunity to have a conversation with him. It would be a terrible thing for somebody to be seeking truth and seeking answers only for us to build barriers rather than bridges and actually keep people from Jesus. Jesus took opportunity to talk with him. And there's no indication in John 3 that Nicodemus immediately believed, but there's clearly indication that that journey of progression for Nicodemus was powerful. Jesus knew it was a starting point. Jesus knew this conversation and that curiosity would lead to more. This is why when we were praying a year and a half ago and we were saying, God, how do you, how, how do you actually inspire someone to follow Jesus? How do we get there? Like, like, we need some feet to this. Like, we can pray, Lord, help us inspire people to follow Jesus, and we can write it out. But how do we actually do this? That's why we landed on this first word, explore. And we want to communicate to a people who may not be following Jesus yet that it's safe to ask questions and express your doubts. You've got to wrestle through these things. You've got to do something with Jesus. And we understand that the first moment of interacting with Jesus may not be the moment you say yes. We understand that that first moment may not be the moment you can answer all the questions. We understand that questions and doubts can be aspects of exploring faith, so we're creating safe and judgment-free environments. We've all been there. We've all been there. In fact, if we're honest, there are probably some people who are Jesus followers that still have questions, that still may feel like they wrestle with doubt sometimes. Be honest. It's like the one who prayed to Jesus. Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. Hey, I believe. I believe who you are. I believe what you can do. But I recognize I'm still human and I've still got some potential for doubt in here. So, Lord, I need you to keep working in me. So, if we're on that journey, we should open the door to let other people be on that journey. Right? So Nicodemus, to some degree for us today, represents people who are exploring faith and who are exploring Jesus and who are exploring Christianity. Many people today fit a description of those who don't know the gospel, who don't have Bible context, who question the reliability of Scripture, who've been even told all of their life not to believe in Jesus. It's almost as if we talk about this, this journey of growth after salvation with Jesus, but honestly, it's a journey before salvation for a lot of people. 
Some people, it's a, it's a spectrum. There's some people who have never heard the gospel presented. They don't even know the name of Jesus. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but it's true. 42.4% of the world is unreached. There are plenty of people who have never heard the gospel. And then there are people who have made a decision to follow Jesus. And then there's all sorts of people in between. Some of them have started a conversation, but they haven't made a decision yet. Some of them have been so close. Jesus said of some people that they were near to the kingdom of heaven. They're so close to making a decision to follow Jesus, but they, they just can't seem to get over that hump, right? All of the spectrum before salvation. Everybody's somewhere in that journey before they follow Jesus. So when we ask, how do we inspire people to follow Jesus, we answer it by saying, we must give people opportunities to explore faith and to explore Jesus and to explore Christianity. We must understand that the starting point is different for every person. We must face the reality that skepticism towards Christianity, Jesus, and the local church is probably higher than ever before. And we must remember... This will relieve you from some of the tension that you might feel in interacting with people who don't follow Jesus. We need to remember that Jesus and the Bible are strong enough to stand even when questions and doubts are coming. We don't have to be afraid of that. We don't have to live in fear that somehow somebody's going to ask the right question and all of a sudden Jesus and the Bible are going to crumble. It won't happen. In fact, the Word tells us very plainly that heaven and earth are going to pass away. Everything else possible is going to pass away, but the Word of God will stand. It will remain. Jesus will stand. He will remain. He is the eternal King. We don't have to worry about, are they going to come up with a question that we can't answer? Are they going to come up with a question that's too big for God? It's impossible. Jesus and His Word will stand. So what we've got to do is we must have the right perspective when we interact with lost people. We must have the right perspective when interacting with lost people. Here, I want to I relieve you of some of this tension. How many of you would say, I've had a conversation with someone before, and I walked away saying, man, I wish I would have said something different. Man, I wish I'd have said that better. Man, I'm terrible at having this conversation. Man, I didn't feel like I knew those answers. We've probably all had a moment where we felt really inadequate. Got to tell you, newsflash, I'm right there with you. Right there with you. We've all had those moments, so we need to take some pressure off of ourselves today and remember that some conversations don't lead to immediate conversions. I would that every time you had a conversation with a person that immediately, and I'm not saying it can't happen. Don't get me twisted today. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm simply saying that there are going to be times that it's a starting point. There are going to be times that you're simply putting a rock in someone's shoe that keeps bothering them and nagging at them and they keep thinking about it. There are going to be times that you plant seeds. There are going to be times that you water the seeds. There are going to be times when you're a gardener and not a harvester. And there are going to be times when you garden and somebody else gets the harvest. All you need to do is trust the Holy Spirit to work through you and give you the words to speak personally to the person on the other side of that table and trust God to do the work. That's all you need to do. You're not the one that's going to save anybody anyway. 
I used to wrestle so hard. Man, when I started, I, pastored, I started pastoring my first church when I was 24 years old. I was an associate there, came, became the pastor when the guy retired. I, I, I remember the pressure. And, and I think every pastor, if they were honest, would probably say they wrestled with this at some time. So uh, if they say they haven't, they're lying. You felt that pressure of standing before people. And you preach this message. And you feel like nobody responded. And you'd walk away, and the struggle was, well, what did I not do enough of? What did I not do right? And you begin to put the results on your own shoulders rather than trusting that God is working and speaking. We have to have the right perspective. Even as a church community together, we must welcome people. We must welcome them to explore Jesus and faith and Christianity. We don't ever want to create barriers that prevent people from considering Jesus. We want to build bridges, not barriers. When people walk through the doors of the church, which I'll talk about in a moment, I'm convinced there are a lot of people that aren't going to walk through the doors of the church until they interact with you outside of it. Okay? I'm convinced that's the case. But when people do walk in the church, let's say that they do walk in. Let's say they haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. Let's say they're still part of another world religion. Let's say that they still got a lot of issues. I'm glad you were quiet on that one because I was about to give an altar call if you said too much. Let's say people walk in. Are we going to be a welcoming culture enough that says, even if you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus, God loves you and I do too, and you're welcome to come in and be a part so that you can learn, you can hear, and you can grow in Christ. That's how it has to be. I'm not talking about compromising on the message. I think you know me well enough to know that that's not what we're saying. We're not talking about compromising on the message. We're going to preach the truth of God's Word, but we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to do the work because God's going to have to be the one to clean people up. I used to go fishing when I was a kid. My dad really loved it. I haven't been in a long time. If anybody wants to go, let me know. Bass, crappie, brim, catfish, you name it. I'm sure I probably need to catch up on walleye, and I don't know if you people eat pike. or Anyway, uh, we'll come back to that, circle back to that. I I go fishing, and I found that you could catch the fish, but somebody got to clean it. And our role is not to put the pressure on ourselves to clean people up. Honestly, our role is just to be obedient to Christ. I don't even know that we do the catching. We're just used by God. So we take the pressure off. We understand that we need to have the right perspective. That what it really comes down to is being led of the Holy Spirit, loving people, and letting Jesus speak into people's lives just like he did to Nicodemus. It starts a journey. We build a bridge, not a barrier. We must create opportunities for people to explore. I call them on-ramps. Our team calls it on-ramps. You you turn right or left and you get on the on-ramp to get on the highway, right? There's a lot of people that haven't turned So they've got to make a decision to turn or we've got to create an on-ramp for them to come the direction that they need to. So we need to create opportunities for people to explore. We need to create on-ramps. So as a team, we're exploring the use of the Internet as a tool to create private on-ramps for conversations about faith, Jesus, and Christianity. Now you may ask, well, Pastor Chris, wait a minute. Private on-ramps? What do you mean? Well, what I mean is, is there are a lot of people that if they ask one single question about Jesus, they're at risk of losing their family. 
So we've got to create starting points. And those starting points may speak direct to human need. And here's what I found out. No matter where you're from, what you look like, or how you smell. Yes. We all got problems. We've all had to deal with death. We've all had to deal with grief. Some people have to deal with depression or anxiety. People have to deal with not being enough in life. People have to deal with, with the tensions of all sorts of different issues that they face. And I've found that those are the common denominator among humanity. So you start where the hurt is at and point people to Jesus. So how do we use that to our advantage? We need to use, and hear me out here, and, and I know that our team knows this because they know my heart and we've had these conversations. We want to use the Internet as more than just promo. We're not trying to just say, we want you to come to EPAG. We want you to come to Jesus. Hey, it's great if you want to be a part of this community. We welcome you. We're thrilled that you're here. We're happy for you to jump in. We believe God's got a purpose for your life. That's fantastic. But more than anything, I want you to decide to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. So how do we do more than just promo a church? How do we make sure we use it to create on-ramps to start conversations about the gospel? Secondly, as a team, we're exploring how can we create on-ramps for conversations off of this campus. If everything we do is only inside the four walls of this church, we've missed the whole Great Commission. Boy, that was a little bit weak. Jesus did ministry in the synagogues, but Jesus also did ministry in the streets. That should be us. Lost people with no God, no Bible, and no church are probably not just going to stop by the church campus. We must be the church, and this is not... All it means to be the church. Being the church is about every day, everywhere, not just here, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, following Jesus and helping other people to do the same thing. So how can we host groups that are not on this campus, that are led by people in the EPAC community? How can we equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry to show compassion and service? Because when you do that, people will observe you and notice there's something different about you because they see Jesus through you, and then they'll want to know where you got peace and joy like you got because they ain't got it. How can we equip you? How do we equip you to engage people? You know what I've found about humanity? One more common denominator. We all eat. And I mean, I ain't saying, but some of us eat more than others. Some of us are hungry right now. Some of us are wondering how quickly I'm going to wrap this up so we can go eat. Don't shout me down. We complicate it. How do I engage the people around me? Talk to them. Feed them, they will come. I mean, not to reduce it to this low, but you know why Autumn Vest is so successful? People like mini donuts, and they're free. Feed them, they'll come. You're looking to create opportunity. You engage people through a meal. You engage people with just genuine interest. When's the last time you were just genuinely interested about the person near you? How are you? Not just, how are you? See you later. 
Not just, I'm going to keep to myself, I don't want to talk to anybody, I don't want to let anybody know anything. When's the last time you've just shown genuine interest? Learn how to ask questions just to get to know people. It's a starting point. It's a starting point. We must be a culture of welcoming people in our lives and even in our church community wherever they are on the journey. And we must lastly today, we must expect, we must invite and expect the Holy Spirit to work. (laughs) Either we believe or we don't. So we either believe that the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit is all about us being equipped not just to speak some other language, but to actually be equipped to be witnesses to our world. That we actually are still living today the model that Jesus gave us hundreds of years ago in the early church. That we're empowered by the Spirit, and when we're empowered by the Spirit, we go from cowards to courageous and being willing to share the gospel with other people. We must invite and expect the Holy Spirit to work. Jesus said, the only way that someone is going to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, Jesus said, the only way someone is going to experience rebirth, spiritual rebirth, is by the work of the Holy Spirit. By the way, you're not going to guilt them into the kingdom. The Holy Spirit's going to convince and convict them into the kingdom. He's going to do that. He's going to enable us to do the work of God by the Holy Spirit. People are going to continue to follow Jesus. We are going to continue to follow Jesus because of the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to be at work. If God can speak on a personal level to Nicodemus, God can speak on a personal level to you and anybody else that's around you. You just need to trust the Holy Spirit to equip you to do it. I've shared a lot of things today. I even talked a little bit about numbers today. And sometimes numbers... People can think that pastors get hung up on numbers. And there are people like that. There are pastors that they're more concerned about nickels and noses than they are about everything else. But I would say to you today, and just so you hear it from me and not someone else, a number represents a person, a person represents a soul, and a soul represents the greatest value to God. And I'll show you how I know that. Because just a few verses later in John chapter 3, the Bible says, For God... So loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. I think we lose fact. I think we lose perspective in John 3.16 of what it really means for someone to perish. For someone to be eternally separated from God. And yet God loved us so much that he sacrificed his only son so that we wouldn't have to perish. But we could have life now to the full in him and eternal life with him forever. That is pretty amazing. Would you stand with me this morning if you're in the room today? I'm going to ask our prayer team members that are in this service to come and make yourself available on either side of the auditorium. Thank you for serving today. 
In just a few moments, I'll pray over you and you'll have opportunity if you have questions, if maybe you have some doubts, maybe you need to process through some things today. There are people who will talk with you. Maybe you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus and you're recognizing this is, this is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of eternity and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus. There are people who will talk with you about that and pray with you about that. You can make that decision today. In fact, I urge you to, but not because I'm telling you. Because He loves you so much that He gave His life for you. And that He's the only answer for the sin problem we have as humanity. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want to challenge you to look inwardly first in your own life. Where are you on your spiritual journey? Are you maybe in an exploring stage right now? Uh, Maybe you've got questions. Maybe you have some doubts. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe there are some obstacles in your life that are, that are hindering you from saying yes to Jesus. Maybe there are obstacles that even kept you from, from coming into this room or any room like this for a long time. Maybe there are obstacles that you're watching online and they're keeping you from walking into a church ever. Or maybe you've made a decision to follow Jesus, but you still are trying to deal with some things. Maybe the hurts of life or the, the loss you didn't expect or or the suffering in the world. Maybe you just got to deal with some things. So I would ask you today, first, do you need to make a decision to follow Jesus? If eternity began in a matter of moments, are you ready? Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus? For the Bible says that same chapter, John 3, verse 18, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It's actually, I think, more clear than we make it. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer for the sin problem. Jesus is the answer for your life. Jesus is the answer for eternity. So today, if you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to challenge you to come and pray with one of these prayer team members. Take that step towards God today because I promise you, just as some other people in this service even found out earlier, God will meet you here. Wherever you are in the journey, God will meet you. Let today be a starting point for an adventure for the rest of your life. I want to challenge you today that before you leave this room that you would take maybe just three to five minutes even to pray with me for people who don't know Jesus. Maybe it's family members, maybe it's co-workers, maybe it's neighbors, maybe it's somebody you met randomly recently. Uh, but we're going to pray in some key ways. Number one, Holy Spirit, would you be at work? Be at work in their hearts. Help them to see their need for Jesus. And Holy Spirit, be at work in us. That, Lord, we would be equipped and empowered to talk to others about you. That we would help inspire other people to follow you. Lord, give us the creativity to reach other people individually and and as a large group, as a church. uh, Give us the creativity to know how to engage other people. Help us to take a step of action, even if it seems small, even if it seems a little awkward to come out of our comfort zone. Help us, Lord, to step forward in engaging the people around us. Help us to have a willingness. A willingness, because if we don't, who does? Who will tell people about Jesus? I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to challenge you. Would you take a few moments and just commit some time to prayer today before you leave? 
And if you need to talk with someone or pray with someone about following Jesus, I encourage you to do that. Prayer team members are available. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is beneficial to us. It is inspired straight from you. And it's beneficial to us for correction, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that you produce fruit in our lives as we hear and obey your words. We honor you today, O God, and we thank you for your word. Now I pray, help us, O Lord, to be a people who help provide on-ramps, who help provide starting points for people. May the Holy Spirit be at work in us and through us. God, I pray today, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, that today they make a decision to follow you and find that it is a life that cannot be compared to anything else. They would come to love you and serve you and know you more than ever before. Now, Father, I pray that you bless and keep this people and you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May you turn your countenance, your favor, may it ever be turned in their direction and grant them your peace. Go with us, keep us, strengthen us, guide us. Help us to follow you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us. And help us to inspire others to follow you as well. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name.